Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. The European Union was once a real force behind trade liberalisation, helping drive progressive efforts to open up the world economy. But the bloc's free trading credentials are now in serious doubt. Wallonia, a region of Belgium with some 3 million inhabitants, this week torpedoed the EU's long-running effort to strike a wide-ranging trade deal with Canada. It was a humiliating setback for EU leaders, already reeling from Brexit and ructions over the migrant crisis. And despite renewed efforts to break the deadlock, there is no easy way out. Wallonia's veto may be a small local rebellion, but it could have big reverberations for Europe. Critics say it is another example of the bloc's dysfunctionality. It will alarm Europe's trading partners. It bodes ill for a parallel effort to reach a much broader agreement for transatlantic trade. And it is a warning to Britain, which is counting on negotiating its own favourable but inevitably complex free trade agreement with the EU following its exit in 2019. Joining me to discuss the issue is Alex Barker, the FT's Brussels Bureau Chief, and Arthur Beasley, our European diplomatic correspondent who covers trade. Arthur, can I start with you? Just outline the reasons why the Wallonian region took this strong stance against CETA as this Canada-European free trade deal is known. Well, a vote on Friday last week against the agreement was about the latest vote against the trade pact with Canada, which is known as CETA. And really, this resistance in Wallonia has been going on for quite a considerable period. There is a feeling that there are political concerns on the part of the French-speaking Socialist Party in the region, but defenders of that party would point out that there is cross-party support and uh, for the resistance against CETA, and indeed it's fair to say that most of the parties in the local parliament whose support is required have been objecting to the agreement. So is this just a Belgian political and constitutional wrangle, or does it speak more broadly about Europe's reluctance to liberalise? Well, I think what, if, you, if, if you consider what's going on in the background, we're in a time of increasing anti-globalization sentiment. There's a, a backlash against the establishment, if you like, the political establishment in several countries. You only have to look at the ele- presidential election in the United States to look at the success of the insurgent campaign of Donald Trump. I think also we have to realize that what's going on in, in Wallonia is a sense that what you get reflected in real-time political debate is disaffection against the vagaries of international trade, which very recently in this part of Belgium led to the loss of more than 2,000 jobs when a Caterpillar equipment plant was to close. And that's not the first big industrial closure in that part of Belgium, and this is reverberating through now into the local politics. Alex, is the EU now incapable of striking these kind of wide-ranging trade deals that don't just cover goods but also cover services and investment? The irony of this is that, of course, comes in an area where the EU is actually pretty powerful as an independent force. You know, 
the Commission has no better, is no stronger than on trade and competition policy. And here we see them putting together an agreement that is relatively uncontentious when you compare it to potential deal with America, which is called TTIP. Yet, they're unable to push it through. And it's partly because the Commission has, over time, broadened these deals to cover more and more areas that cut across national powers and therefore requires the full kind of endorsement, not only of the governments, but the 38 national parliaments across the EU. And here we have a real question mark, not only over the ambitions of the EU in the kind of trade deals that it can do in the future, but its ability to make good on its word with negotiating partners and actually to function as a block. Because, you know, if they're unable to push through matters which they all agreed when the union was founded to centralise, then it raises a question mark over all sorts of other areas as well. I mean, it does raise a big issue, which is that given that trade liberalisation now is about much more than just tariffs, it's about standards and investment procedures and, and everything else. How can you actually push ahead with these deals? And is the only way to sort of chop them up into manageable slices? Well, I guess you can manage it by being a bit less ambitious. You can go for the kind of core tariff issue. But as you said, that's not the kind of trade issue of the moment. That's not where the real gains are to be made. It's more in kind of regulatory harmonization and running into areas such as shipping and services that where national powers are stronger. So if you do want to go into those areas, how do you manage that? You could either split it into two separate things with different mandates, different procedures, but that makes a very complicated negotiation with the other side because they may say, well, we'll lower our tariffs, but only if we get something on investment agreements or on services. And the EU won't be able to say, look, sure, we'll make sure both these elements of the deal go through. It's quite a hard nut to crack. And particularly if you think this is actually not a kind of aberration, but a sign of what's to come politically, that at national level, politicians are getting a taste for kind of making their voice heard issues. So it's a very hard problem for the Commission. Arthur, is there any way for Brussels to salvage this particular Canada deal? Well, uh, it, it ain't over till it's over, Ben. The effective deadline is a summit which is due to take place on Thursday of this week in Brussels between European leaders and the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. And the expectation was one day ago when the Belgian Prime Minister said that he would not be able to sign, the expectation then was that that summit would be cancelled. However, it hasn't been cancelled and efforts are still underway to get this thing over the line. Now, they must; those efforts must be viewed with some doubt and scepticism because it's fair to say that this process has been ongoing for weeks and weeks and weeks. And at a certain point, the very early autumn, when Europe was simultaneously discussing with America this much larger TTIP deal mentioned by Alex, at a certain point, all of the energies went into the Canadian deal because there was a real fear in the air that it could possibly collapse. And I think it's fair to say that we're still in that position, even though it ain't over till it's over. Alex, the Walloons have just hammered another nail into TTIP's coffin, haven't they? I think so. I mean, politically, it's going to be very hard to regroup and say, let's 
try, you know, something big and ambitious on TTIP because actually the resistance you saw to CETA was in, in part the kind of aftermath of a very strong campaign from grassroots, from NGOs against TTIP. And once TTIP stalled, the energies were put onto the Canada deal and uh, they proved successful, at least with the Walloons. And how will they be looking at these events in London? It sends two messages. I mean, if you're a Brexit supporter, this is exactly the kind of dysfunction that many of them cited as a reason to leave the bloc, that actually they were unable to pursue a a liberal trade agenda, even if the leadership wanted it, even if a vast majority of member states were pushing for it. So you can see that being justified. At the same time, that does mean that when and if Britain becomes a third country, when it becomes, leaves the bloc, that it's going to be terrifically difficult, potentially, for them to reach an ambitious trade agreement with the EU without running up against Walloons, German-speaking assemblies, Austrian parliaments that will have issues with the agreement, just as they had issues with the Canadian one and with TTIP. So it's a very tricky issue for the Brits to deal with over the long term, and it may make them start thinking about what is possible in the divorce deal and to try and make that as ambitious as possible so that you're not left hanging on the word of Paul Magnette and the uh, Wallonian Assembly eight or nine years down the road. I suspect the ructions over a free trade deal between Britain and the EU will make this seem like a pretty small affair. My thanks to Alex Barker and Arthur Beasley. World Weekly is produced by Hannah Murphy. Until next week, goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast presented by me, Claire Barrett, the editor of FT Money. The Money Show comes out every Wednesday and you can download it at ft.com slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.